Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all again. Thank you for praying for us. Our family is well recovered now, and, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, we're going to be in Mark's Gospel again today, picking back up. As you're turning there, and I ask you, have you ever had a busy day? I know the answer is yes. <laughs> About a really busy day. A really, really busy day. Uh, last time we were in Mark, we saw the start of one busy day in the life of Jesus. Um, today we're going to see that day through to the end and even into the next day after that. Mark is going to draw our eyes to the Savior in our passage and show us more of who he is. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. We'll read down through verse 39. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her. She began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for sending your Son into this dark world to be light, to be the light who gives life. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us to see your Son and that we would believe him, we would trust him. Lord, I pray in all sorts of different situations in our lives, Lord, that you would help us to trust you and to cast ourselves on you and to seek your face, Lord. We pray that you would help us through this text and we ask that you would give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through this text, I believe that Mark, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to believe in Jesus, our healer and savior. He's inviting us to believe in Jesus, our healer and our Savior. As we uh, see that in this text, I want to take it in two parts. I want to see verses 29 uh, through 34. And in that, we'll see the Son's mercy. And then as we continue in verses 35 to 39, we'll see the Son's mission. So the Son's mercy and his mission. Uh, as we start in verse 29, we see that Jesus leaves the synagogue after a very eventful morning. Remember, he uh, preaches, he teaches in the synagogue, and people are marveling 
because of his authority in his teaching. He's not teaching like the scribes. He's teaching as one who has authority. And in the middle of the service, uh, a demon cries out and confronts Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the demon and silences it. Jesus has such authority that even the demons have to obey him. It's been a remarkable morning, uh, and you might think that then Jesus and his disciples here are going to go to lunch, and it's going to be uh, an easy situation, but it's not the case. He comes home, and as soon as he gets there, Simon, who's Simon Peter, comes to his house, and it's Andrew's house as well, and they inform him that Peter's mother-in-law is laid out with a fever. Uh, and the, the Greek word for fever here is built off of the word for fire. Yeah, she's burning up. Uh, and it's not as if Peter, on the way home, can just swing by Walgreens and pick up some Tylenol. Uh, there were a lot more diseases in that day that may have turned out to be fatal. That There wasn't uh, anything to help them with. There were physicians in that day, but the, the body of knowledge was pretty limited. Um, they didn't have the blessing of modern medicine. So what's Jesus going to do? We've seen already he has the authority to call disciples, to teach the word, to rebuke demons. And is that the extent? As Mark has been telling us about this Jesus who is the Son of God, who proclaims the kingdom that is at hand, is that the extent of his power? Well, no. It's remarkable to go and see that beyond that, uh, Jesus doesn't just have power to preach and to teach and to call people to follow him, but he has power even over sickness. Sickness is no match for the power of Jesus. He takes Peter's mother-in-law and he takes her by the hand and lifts her up. And in that process, the fever leaves. He heals her. And in response, she turns and she serves him. Now, what an afternoon that must have been. Imagine all the events of the morning, Peter's mother-in-law being healed, the disciples are with Jesus, and they're there through the rest of the afternoon at the house. Uh, <clears throat> now, the, the day, as, as far as we think about day, the day is not over, because there's still the evening coming, and we read what happens there. But in the Hebrew concept of day, the day is over at sundown. Uh, think of Genesis 1-5, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Um, in, in the Hebrew conception of day, the day starts at sundown. That's when the new day begins. Now we think about it morning to, to night, to when we go to bed. Uh, but the, the Sabbath day itself was over then at the sundown. And uh, multiple commentators point to that as the reason for why the Jews don't come until after the sun goes down. Uh, the religious leaders would not have allowed for people seeking healing on the Sabbath. Uh, it would have been frowned upon to, to help somebody get, uh, get out and get over. Uh, and so the people are waiting. They, they've heard about Jesus. Remember, the fame of Jesus spreads everywhere. And, but they're waiting. They're waiting till it's, in a sense, legal for them to come to Jesus. And when the sun goes down... The people really turn out. It says, Mark says here that the whole city was gathered at the door. Everybody turned out. You know, obviously, some people are there uh, bringing people to be healed. Some people are able to bring themselves to be healed. Other people probably just want to come and see 
what's going on? You could imagine the testimony from the morning that spreads, and then maybe you have a family member that's going to go, so well, you would want to go too. And then you're the only house on the block that isn't going there, so you maybe want to turn out and see what all the hubbub is about. Uh, everybody turns out standing at the door uh, at sundown. And uh, as the people gather together, this wasn't just one, uh, a one-shot wonder. It's not as if Jesus could only heal a fever. Rather, he turns and he heals everybody who gathers. He exercises all of these demons out. Again, Mark is pointing out the authority of Jesus. He's been showing us that throughout the gospel so far. Uh, he is speaking about who Jesus really is here. In verse 6, we see, uh, or excuse me, in these six verses here, we're seeing that Jesus has compassion on these people who are sick. Uh, the, the son is merciful on the sick and the ailing and the possessed. Um, the word for pity and compassion shows up later. We'll see that next week in verse 41. He's moved with pity when he heals the leper. Jesus had mercy on these people, and so he healed them. Uh, now, and here it says that the whole town turns out, all who were sick and oppressed by demons come, if you'll notice in verse 32. And then Mark says that he heals many. Now, some people have wondered, does that mean that like a hundred people who were sick came, and I mean, he healed many. He healed like 13 people, you know, that, that's a lot of... A lot of people. Is that what Mark means? Well, no, I don't think that's what Mark means. In saying many, that doesn't mean that it's a fraction of how many people who were there. Rather, uh, many is saying he healed a lot of people. And uh, he's not saying that it's only like a third of the people that got healed or dispossessed of demons. In fact, in the parallel in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, Matthew says, Many people came, and all were healed. So by saying many, he's not saying just a certain number of people got healed out of all who could have been. Jesus heals everybody. Now, Mark has told us already twice, in verse 1 of this gospel and in verse 11, that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark tells us right at the start, he's the Son of God. And the Father declares from heaven that this is my beloved Son in verse 11. And as the Son of God... When we see Jesus acting, he is revealing what God is like. He is telling us through his words and his actions what the God of the universe is like. Uh, and in scripture, God is known as the God who heals. He says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, and speaking to Moses, he says, I am the Lord, your healer. Maybe you've heard the the name Jehovah Rapha before, uh, that, that comes from this, uh, the Lord who heals. Uh, think of Psalm 103, verses 2 to 3. Psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And as he's counting up the blessings of the Lord, he says, who heals all your diseases. God has the power to overcome any sickness. He has the power to heal any malady, any disease. Now, there was nobody who went home that day who Jesus did not heal. There was no demon that was left lodged in its human host. Jesus cleaned house. 
And as we think about this in light of ourselves, simply because Jesus ascended back to the Father, that does not mean that he has lost the power to heal. Jesus is still the great physician. God has not grown weak with the passage of time. 2,000 years has not diminished his strength. He has not grown tired or exhausted by the constant conveyor belt of human sickness. We should be encouraged, as we read this, we should be encouraged to go to God and pray that he would bring healing. It's right for us to do that. It's right for us to ask him that he would heal for ourselves and for others we know and love. You know, if I went around this room, I'm sure that there would be stories and testimonies of God's ability to heal that we can talk about. We, we could testify that during the sharing time today. Uh, I think we've all seen times that God has healed. And it's a great encouragement when we witness that kind of healing in people's lives. And at the same time, it can be very hard when God chooses not to heal someone that we ask him to heal. Or when, at least for a time, uh, he doesn't remove our immediate suffering. That can be challenging. All of us know the experience of unanswered prayer. Or even prayer that's been answered with a no. Those are painful and sometimes confusing times for us. But those should drive us to cast ourselves on the wisdom of God in those moments. Brothers and sisters, God is wise. Things can be really hard. We cast ourselves on the God who knows what he is doing. God is good to his children all the time. All the time, God is good to us. He is always, in everything, doing us good. Even when he says no, it's not to our harm. It's not because he's paying us back for our sins. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. God is not paying us back. As God's children, all we know is his love and goodness. That is what he shows to us. And if you can believe it, in those times, his wise no is even better for us than the yes we're asking for. Now, that takes faith. And I have to admit that I struggle in those moments to trust our Father. Uh, and I can confess that he is patient. Whether it's sickness or things we're waiting on in our lives, uh, our Tina and I are waiting on the Lord to provide us a child and adoption. It's a hard time of waiting. Those are, it's difficult. You know, you think, well, God, I, I could draw a picture here that would make a lot more sense to me. But he has his plan and he's working. The reality is we do struggle when an answer is no, whether for healing or in other things, or whether it's wait. It's a struggle. Uh, I don't want to get too far off from the, the yes that we see in this text. Those who came to Jesus for healing and for cleansing from demons found it. There wasn't an illness to be found in Capernaum that night after Jesus' work was done. And when all things are concluded on this earth, and God brings in the new heavens and the new earth, sickness will be banished. 
Our resurrected bodies will be free from sickness, free from decay. Entropy will be ended. That long road of decline will be stopped forever. Our bodies may ache now, but that is not the final state for us. Our pain is real, but it is temporary. The day will come when the great physician will heal all our diseases. The last enemy, death, will be destroyed. What we see happening on that night or that morning, I suppose, in Capernaum, uh, that's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like uh, when God brings his kingdom in fully. When it comes in all of its fullness, we're seeing just a, a picture of that. I think it also encourages us that we can pray for healing now, even if it's temporary, that we would pray that God would bring us healing now. And when he does grant healing, we want to rejoice, we want to give thanks, we want to be encouraged by that, and we want to steward that well. You notice what Peter's mother-in-law did. No sooner is she healed than she turns around and she serves Jesus and his disciples. I don't think Mark includes that as a throwaway detail. When God brings us healing, whether that's miraculously in a moment, whether that would be through our natural functions of our immune system, uh, whether that's through medical intervention, when God brings healing, we should turn and serve him. Every minute of the life that God has given us is a gift from him. And it's appropriate that we would use that to glorify him and to serve him. When God does bring us healing, we want to use that as an opportunity to thank him and then to serve him. As we keep reading along in our text here, uh, we see that after a very full 16 hours, Jesus goes to bed. And I bet that Jesus slept very well. He was known to sleep even in a boat while it was storming all around him. Uh, but his sleep must have been relatively short. Let's read these verses again, uh, 35 to 39. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, uh, said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We've seen the Son's mercy, verses 29 to 30, 34. Let's look now at the Son's mission. Mark's Gospel says that he rose very early. The, the Greek there is exceedingly early. Uh, and Jesus doesn't lay in bed praying. Uh, he gets up and he slips out of the house while everybody is still sleeping. Uh, and although Capernaum is a city, it's not like they've got electric lampposts. It must have been pretty dark. Uh, and that, that's not enough, though. Uh, he, he's got to go beyond that and go farther out. He goes out into the wilderness. It says the desolate place here, but the word there is for the wilderness. He finds a nice, secluded, unpopulated place to go into prayer. He could, I'm guessing, have cared less about the critters that were around him. Uh, he's wanting to go to a place where he can be absorbed in prayer and not be interrupted. In 
Matthew 6, 6, Jesus tells his disciples to go into their rooms and shut the door and to pray to their father in secret. Uh, and Jesus found a nice secret place to pray uh, here. There are multiple references throughout the Gospels to Jesus going and uh, praying alone, finding secluded places to pray. Sometimes it's in the wilderness. Sometimes he goes on a mountain and he prays alone. In uh, Luke chapter 6, before Jesus chooses his 12 apostles, he spends the entire night in prayer. Jesus must have loved talking to his father. And as the Son of God, uh, he had been in constant communion with his Father for all eternity. And it is likely in his communion with his Father that he gained clarity in his earthly ministry of what was the thing next that his Father was leading him into. In John chapter 5, after Jesus heals a paralytic man on the Sabbath, and he's challenged by the Jews there, he says, this is John 5.19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So he sees from his Father uh, what it is that he is to do. Uh, now Mark doesn't tell us much. This is true to form for Mark. He's not going to give us all the details. We might wonder. Uh, he doesn't tell us a lot. He, he simply tells us that Jesus goes and prays in a desolate place. Uh, and then he tells us that this prayer time has to come to an end. Uh, they come looking for him, verse 36. Simon, those who are with him, found him. And they're searching for him. They find him. And they say that everyone is looking for you. Now, every parent of small children can relate at this point. Uh, you finally find a moment for some peace and quiet, and then you are found out. Uh, everyone is looking for you. Uh, or perhaps better, Jesus can relate to us. Uh, Jesus knew what it was to feel needed 110% of the time. Uh, parents, and just encourage parents of young children to think about, are there ways that uh, you can enable your spouse to have some time uh, alone to pray and to have time with the Lord in, in the middle of the chaos? Think about ways maybe you can, you can help them. Uh, well, as hidden as Jesus may have been out in this desolate place, uh, the disciples find him. You know, perhaps this isn't the first time Jesus has done this. Maybe there's uh, a few spots they knew to check. I don't know. But they come, they search for him, they find him, and they tell him, everyone is looking for you. Now, I think the implications of that uh, to Jesus is, you had better go back there. You know, everybody's searching for you. What are you doing out here? Let's, let's get back to Capernaum. You know, they wanted to bring Jesus back. Uh, but Jesus had already taught there. He had already demonstrated who he was. Uh, I think to go back to Capernaum at this point would be to soak in the accolades. Uh, I think the disciples might have loved that fame. They might have loved to return and, and talk with all these people who were healed and to be around Jesus who did it. You can imagine that they're kind of eager to get back and, and to soak it up for a bit. Uh, but Jesus is on a different mission. He knows that. Uh, he has been commissioned to go out to other villages and preach there also. He's not been sent to enjoy the approval of the crowds. Uh, he's been sent to preach so that others can hear the good news. And, and that's what he does. The passage ends with that. He goes all throughout Galilee 
preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He continues to go village by village, doing what he's done even in Capernaum. Jesus knew that he was not going back to Capernaum that day. Now he is going to go back. We'll see in chapter 2, they do return after some time to Capernaum, but he's not going back that day. Now perhaps it was in that time of prayer that that became clear to him, or perhaps he already knew it. Jesus was on a mission all throughout his earthly ministry. And as we look at the, the arc of the story of Mark's gospel, uh, it starts in Galilee, which is in northern Israel. Jesus is going to be carrying out a ministry in Galilee. And then at some point, he's going to start turning down towards Jerusalem. He's going to set his face on Jerusalem. Now, his mission right now is to preach the good news. To go around, perform miracles, to testify to who he is, and then he's going to go on in his mission, and he is going to not only preach the good news, but secure the good news. He's going to go on where the enemies that he has accumulated and the Pharisees and the scribes will crucify him. He will be killed. He will be raised from the dead. He will secure the good news of the gospel for us uh, in completion of his mission. Uh, Jesus healed a lot. It's amazing. Here he heals everybody in Capernaum. Uh, but that's only a part of what he came to do. He, he's going to go on to deal with the root cause of sickness and death. He's going to deal with sin. He, he's going to deal with the very thing that brought sickness and death into this world. And uh, strikingly, even the people that he heals, we looked at this before in Capernaum, uh, later in Matthew chapter 11, he's going to turn around and he's going to preach condemnation on Capernaum because although they had seen so many miracles, they didn't repent. He says it's going to be easier for Sodom in the day of judgment than for Capernaum. Well, that's shocking. Can you imagine? These people who saw everything that they saw Jesus do, they shrug it off. They don't repent. They, they don't abandon themselves and trust in Jesus. Uh, the reality is all of these people in Capernaum are going to go on to die. They've been healed. They've been dispossessed. Uh, but they will go on to die. If Jesus had merely come and healed everybody on the planet and ascended back to the Father, that wouldn't have gotten us very far, right? There'd be a lot of healthy people. Maybe the genetic line would be cleaned up a bit. But decay is still coming back. People are still going to die. Jesus was on a mission to deal with the cause of that sickness, the cause of death. That's our sin. He did that. In dying and rising again, he not only paid for our sin, but he gave us life that will last forever. Scott preached on hope uh, these last few weeks. That, that there's hope for us that death is not the final say for us. Uh, sickness... Is, is not the end for us. We have a life that is imperishable, that's stored up for us. That is the hope that we have been given. It would be better to be in our place than to be in the place of the Capernaums. I don't, I don't know what you would call them, the people of Capernaum. We may or may not be healed. I don't know. We know the, if the Lord doesn't come first that we will pass into eternity. Uh, it would be better to believe and not be healed 
than for some like this to be healed but not believe. Uh, we we want to go to the first issue first. We, we want to trust Jesus. And even through our sickness as we pass through it and he heals us, we get sick again and he heals us, we want to trust the Lord. We want our hearts to be set on him, not merely on the things that he can give us in this life. Uh, we should be encouraged to pray that he would heal us, that he would heal others, because he does. He still heals in response to our prayer. And we want to set our hearts fully on him. We want to see this Savior. We want to trust this Savior who is also uh, our healer. He is trustworthy. Next time as we gather together, we'll see another uh, time where he heals a leper. And Mark is going to zero in on that for us. And we'll, we'll see more of the compassion of the Savior in that story together. So let's pray together now. Father, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you so often for giving us healing. And thank you, Father, for the promise that there will be no sickness and no death, that the last enemy, death, will be defeated, that we will live with you forever in these bodies that have been transformed and resurrected. Lord, we long to be there with you, and we long to spend eternity with you, Lord. So please help us, sustain us in hope and in faith in this day. Lord, we do pray. We, we thank you for bringing so many of us through sickness in this last season, and we do pray that you would continue to, to bring healing um, for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.